0: Man, you guys give it up for the band, huh? Thank you, guys. <clears throat> Amen. All right, man. Well, how was y'all's uh, how was y'all's afternoon? Your your day? You know what I did? I went and took a nap. It was awesome. I haven't had a nap in like seven years since I had kids, man. That's a lie. That's a joke, man. But it, it did. What uh, what stood out? What was like the funnest thing of the day so far. Sports. All right, what about the game session y'all went out and played a bunch of games and stuff? Is that fun? Good deal. That's cool, man. Do what? I have not seen the pictures yet. Where can I find those pictures? All right, I'll go look for them in the morning. Man, <clears throat> well, all right, um, let's jump in let's jump into session two. Um, man, this morning we we talked about. We talked about community. We talked about community being this ache that we, that we long for, that all of our hearts are longing for something. We're, long, we're longing for God, to know God, and to be known by one another, to belong to a place. And we're going to jump into tonight's topic, which is kind of, but what, is it, what does it require of us to come into a community like that? Can you just, can you just come in? Or is there, is there something required of you? And so tonight's topic is called Surrender, the path to life. Surrender the path to life. And so if you would, would you open up to Mark chapter 8 if you do have a Bible? If not, it'll be on the screen. If you do have a Bible, it'd be good to see it with your own eyes. And before we do that, I want to pray for us as we go to God's word. So let's pray. Lord God, we, anytime we come to your word, we just want to give you praise. God, you long to communicate to us. You long to express your love for us, your vision for the world, and your plans for our life. You don't want us to be aimless and hopeless. God, you want to speak to us and and lead us. And I pray tonight as we go to your word, God, that you'd help me hide behind it. God, that you would help me to to glorify you and to speak your word. Holy Spirit, would you illumine the word, open our eyes and help us to see it. Pray that you would help us eliminate distractions, whether that be things inside of us or things in our phone or things in our hearts. Would you just for the, the next few moments, God, just give us clarity. Would you give us just a second to pause and to hear from you? That's what we need. We don't need to hear from anyone else. We need to hear from you. So, Jesus, would you speak to us through your word? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to open up by reading Mark 8, 31 through 38, and then we'll get into the rest of this. So here we go. Verses 31 to 38. Hear the word of the Lord tonight. It says this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter, look at Peter, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. And turning and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) It's going pretty bad when Jesus calls you Satan, right? Now, right before that, Jesus Peter has said, you're the Christ. And then a few verses later, he says, get behind me, Satan. So Peter's having a rough day, right? Verse 33, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man, verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Jesus, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For who?" Of his father with the holy angels. Thank you, God, for your word. So I want to open up and ask you this question as we get into this text tonight Who or what is forming you most? Who or what is forming you most? What I mean by forming is who has reign over your thoughts? Who's teaching you how to grow up? Who's teaching you how to think? How to live. Who's the highest influence in your life? Think about it. Now, for some of you, there may be great influences. Mom, dad, a mentor, a small group leader, a coach, like a good teacher in your life. But maybe, maybe it's a particular person on social media. Maybe it's an account or someone on YouTube that you follow. Maybe you're not even aware of how much someone else is actually forming the way you think, the way you live, and the way you feel. So when you to be honest with yourself i know it may be hard but think about it who is forming you most when you're alone what captivates your mind what does your mind and your heart drift off to when you're just laying there in the still of your own mind in your evening maybe it's a person what movement or person has your allegiance you might say no one i listen to myself well we talked about radical individualism this morning you remember that idea of I listen to only to myself, man, that's the way to death. That's not the way to life. <clears throat> and the reality is, it's not true. That's not a way to flourishing. We can't just live in and of ourselves, despite what our culture teaches us. Because the question, I believe we have this slide, the question is never, will I be a disciple? The question is always, whose disciple will I be? Now, you may be, keep that up for a sec. You may be saying, I, well, I don't know if I'm a disciple of anybody. I think I'm just like a kid, right? Well, I want to press and say, no, you are following someone, whether you've caught on to it or not. The question is not, will you be a disciple? All of us are being taught and following someone or some system or some thing. The question is always, whose disciple will you be? Who will you belong to? Who will you follow? Who will you allow to teach you and govern the way your life is going. Maybe maybe tonight you say, I follow Jesus. You might say, I'm learning the skill of living from Jesus Christ, who taught us how to live, how to love one another in this broken world. And I would say amen to that. That is the path of joy. But I want to ask you a question. If you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, you would say that's where That's where I find joy. That's who's forming me the most. The word of Jesus is forming me the most. I want to ask you this question. Do your habits reflect the life of a person who has surrendered to Jesus? Do your habits, here's what I mean by your habits. What are you doing with your time? The habits of your time. Maybe it's what are you doing with your youthful energy? All of you are super energetic, right? We just jumped and sang. You have tons of energy. Like, that's for a reason. Like, our youthful zeal is a gift from God. The question is, are you just sitting behind a screen with it, right? What are you doing with the energy and the youthfulness that God has given you? Let me ask you another question. Do you obey your parents with a glad heart? There's some parents in the room. They're like, oh, my gosh, finally he said that, right? Do you obey your parents with a glad heart? Does your screen time reflect the life of a person who has surrendered to the love and lordship of Jesus? Now, why do I go there? All right. Uh, I believe there's an image of a book that we have. Now, I want to say this. If this is a book called Faith for Exiles, and the subtitle It says five ways for a new generation to follow Jesus in digital Babylon. Keep that up for a moment. If you want this book, Pastor Dave will buy it for you because it's $5. And if he can't, if he runs out of money, call me and I'll buy it for you, okay? If you'll read it, let me know, okay? This is a super helpful book to understand kind of the cultural trends of what is going on, what is in a digital Babylon, right? So Babylon was a place that did not understand God or the laws of God or the ways of God in the Old Testament. It's where Daniel grew up and had to show his faith to a world that did not know his God. And the point of this book is, man, we're living in a type of digital Babylon that is vying for our attention, that is actually trying to form us and disciple us in its own patterns, David Kinnaman is the man who wrote this book, and he studies trends. I talked about him a little bit this morning. He studies trends of teenagers and young adults. And this is actually, this might shock you a little bit, but I want to start off again with a couple statistics. He did a 10-year research project studying American teenagers in this book. At the beginning of his research, he found that teenagers, 13 to 18, were the most active in their faith were the most religiously active in their faith, but by their early, early 20s had become the least active in their faith and in their church commitment. Now, any honest person, a sociologist or even just a, a person who reads is like, what happened? Like, how did in one generation, teenagers were the most religious and in, within 10 years became the, the least religious? He said two-thirds of all young adults today who regularly attend church will drop out of church at least for a season in their college years. It is projected that 1.2 million young adults are, that's a young adult is 18 to 29 years old, is what they call a young adult. 1.2 million young adults are projected to abandon their faith completely this year. And over the 10-year period of study, it was found that 64% of them abandoned their faith in their freshman year of college. Raise your hand if you're a senior. Raise your hand. Get it up high. I want to see. All right? That would would be 64% of you guys would still call themselves a Christian your freshman year of college is what this study is saying. Now, there are many different reasons this, this survey ought to kind of shock us and actually cause us to ask a question. Well, is that me? Am I going to fall away? Like what, what, what is it in their hearts that led them to fall away? Now, there's a couple of different things. As these young adults were, were surveyed, some of them said many different things. <clears throat> some of them said they felt like they were poorly discipled. That they were not given a faith that was truly centered on Jesus, that helped them understand the Bible, that helped them appreciate and serve the church, and have any sort of vision for what they were supposed to do in the real world. No, they, they came and they, they had a student ministry that was based primarily on entertainment. It was, it was all about pizza and games, but it never got to Jesus. It was surface level. Maybe it was reading the Proverbs together of how to, how to steward your money or how to have a, a really happy life. But it was never like, what am I made for? Why do I exist? And who, more than that, who am I made for? What is the purpose of my life? What direction is my life headed? And if it's for Jesus, what does it look like to faithfully follow him? For many of these young adults, the, the other things that drove them away from church in their college years was that they saw that that the church had become a political rally and not a church. You seen some of that in your day and age? That the church has become centered on politics and not on the gospel? Some of them saw failures of their church leaders caught in scandals, right? That they looked at their leaders as hypocrites when they fell into sin or got caught in money laundering or issues like that. Now, for many of them, and I want you to pay attention to this part. For many of them, what happened was simply this. A life that was surrendered to Jesus became more difficult as the thrills and promises of our world became more accessible once they left their home. So they got out into the real world. They got out into college. They were out of the nest of mommy and daddy. And they had to face the world in and of themselves with their own faith, their own thoughts, their own path of obedience, if you will. And for many of them, there was a season by their freshman or sophomore year that they were totally consumed with all the things that the world had to offer for you. Hope you're happy about that. So there, just so you know, that, that is it's coming for all of us. Now some of us, you, it's already there. You've already been offered that taste. But for some of you, there's still that, that protection of your church and your parents. And as you go off, Shortly, there's going to be more and more freedom. So I want to ask you again, be honest with yourself. Who or what is forming you? Those stats are depressing. And in a little bit, I'm going to share some more hopeful things. But first, I want to say this, that all of us, you and I, have habits and practices, things that we repeatedly do, often without realizing it. Things like when you wake up in the morning, grabbing our phone the first thing in the morning or putting on a podcast when we get in the car. Some of these things are in and of themselves bad. Maybe they can be habits that we escape, that we run to when we're anxious or angry. So maybe we eat when we're sad. Maybe we find a distraction. For some of us, we go to TikTok algorithms that curate content for us, and we think the, the, what's, been, what's been curated for us is the real world, and in reality, we're just seeing the world that's been tailored to us. Maybe for some of you, we binge watch a show on Netflix and just lose track of time. Do you know what's happening in that moment? You're not just losing your time. You're becoming a person that loses control. You're discipling yourself. The screen is discipling you to be a person that says, I'm going to waste my time instead of steward my time for something good. And this may be a little more serious, but Maybe when we eat our feelings, we become a person who uses those things to actually silence our pain or to make our pain go away temporarily. Or maybe when you look at pornography, when you feel lonely, it heals that temporary loneliness in your heart. And you're becoming a person that loses control and actually doesn't deal with your pain, but just looks for temporary relief. I did want to start off with some heavy things. Tonight, and I hope you feel it in in the things that I've said so far. We aren't just wasting our time, friends. We are being formed into a type of person. The person that you're becoming today is the person that you're becoming for the future. You're not just going to wake up at 23 and be super successful and driven and a person of prayer and a person who loves Jesus and knows what you want to give your life to and a person who is self-controlled and has dreams, you're not just going to become that person. You have to actually live into that and, be- and become that person by habits, by becoming a per- that person now. Those, the things that we give our, ourselves to, it's actually doing something to us. It's not just distracting us. It's discipling us, and it's devastating our souls. Now, I want to read this quote before we jump in. Again, to our text tonight, John Ortberg, famous pastor and author, says this, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce or give up our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. That quote haunts me that we would not live our lives, but we would, we would be so hurried and not have a real version of faith, but a, a fake less than version of faith that doesn't actually sustain us into the real world. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you, are you tired tonight? Are you tired Are you at a point where you feel heavy? Maybe you have a a facade up and you actually haven't told anyone how you feel, that you feel aimless and heavy and like, I don't know why I exist or what my life is for, where I'm going, where I'm heading. Do you feel anxious and heavy tonight? Jesus would say to you, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon uh, upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart is what he says. Meaning... Do you want to learn how to, how to live in this world that God made? Come learn from King Jesus. And so that's what I want to look at is three things tonight of how do we surrender to King Jesus? What does it look like to live a life where we say, I don't want to rule my life anymore. I want to be taught how to live in this world that God made. We're going to look at three different things from Mark chapter 8. And the first one is this, if you're taking notes. Following Jesus is a life of surrender. I want you to look back with me in verse 34 and 35. You still got it? Or I, think, I Yeah, we got it on the screen. 34 and 35. Following Jesus is a life of surrender. Not just a moment of surrender, but a life of surrender. 34 and 35. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save Or protect or hold back or keep his life, they will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, for him, for Jesus, for my sake in the gospels, will save it. You you see the paradox of what Jesus is teaching there. Following Jesus is a life of surrender. What he says is this, that anyone who would desire to follow him. So look at me. Jesus often reserved his hardest messages for the largest crowds. Sometimes in our, in, our, uh, in our church life today, we think, man, like, real life, like, real teaching, like, the thrill of what's happening is when there's, like, a huge worship gathering. When there's 300 and 500, maybe there's 3,000 people there. We go to college, and they have a giant college ministry, and we're like, wow, there's 3,000 people here. Like, this is, this is really a movement. And often in those moments is where Jesus said his most controversial and hard things to receive. Now, oftentimes to smaller crowds, to his disciples, he was slow and he would explain things. And he would have grace and patience. But to the crowds who can, who can come in and, and maybe give the perception that they really do love Jesus, but really they're just blending in with the crowd, Jesus would say hard things like this. If you want to follow me, lose your life. And they're like, no, bro, it's my life. What you talking about? Like, it's, I don't have to lose it to anybody. And he's like, no, you do. You can't sit in this crowd and call yourself a follower, a follow, my follower. No, if you really want to follow me, you lose your life. Lay your life down. Give up your life and no longer belong to yourself. It's basic Christianity 101. Toddlers learn these things. I want to show you this. You've probably seen this before, but there's a a tool called the New City Catechism. The church has used catechisms for 2,000 years. I use this with my kids. We use this at our church. Many churches have used this. I believe it was created by Tim Keller and a bunch of other guys. But uh, the New City Catechism is basically a question and answer tool used for for children and for students as a way to, to learn basic Christian theology. And question number one says this. Can you guys see that? Question number one, meaning the most foundational thing for little kids to learn is this. What is our only hope in life and death? And I want you to read this part with me. Ready? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. My five-year-old has that memorized. And what it means is this. We don't belong to ourselves, and that's actually freeing. That we don't have to create our own sense of meaning, our own identity, our own direction in life. You know how exhausting that is? That's why we're anxious, is we think we have to create our future. that We have to create our identity and show ourselves to be better than we really are. Jesus says, our hope in life and death is this. You're not your own. You surrender to me. Our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own. Basic Christianity is this. To deny yourself at its core means to surrender all of your life to Jesus and his kingdom. My life belongs not to me, but to Jesus in whatever he wants me to do. Wherever the world is headed, I'm on team Jesus. That's all it means. It means that you will say over and over and over forever, that I will align my life from this day and every day with King Jesus and his vision of reality. He says, you want to belong to my kingdom? Lay down your life. Give up your life. Now, we hear that in 2023, and that feels pretty confrontational. I don't know about you, right? But we we talked about it this morning, right? Of people saying, hey, just follow your own heart, just follow your own truth, like listen and obey yourself over anyone else. Even if your parents are telling you something, like don't listen to your parents. Just just look inside of your heart and saying, hey, inner self, what do you want to do today? You know how exhausting and psychotic that is? A lot of people are trying to get back to this idea of like, man, I'm just trying to get back to my inner child. You ever heard that? Heard that in a lot of counseling sessions. of like, I'm just trying to get back to that inner me before the world broke me. Right? Now there's part of that where, yeah, some things maybe hurt us in our childhood, right? But we're not going to get back to this state of innocence. We've lived too long, right? And we don't have to, because Jesus has come to redeem us and give us a new identity. We're not, all, we're not looking inside of ourselves to say, who am I? No, we look outside of ourselves to Jesus. Now, Paul says, Paul says this in Galatians 2. 20. Paul, who was a man who once hated Jesus, hated Christians, and wanted the church to be destroyed. Later, he came to know Jesus, love Jesus, and was surrendered to Jesus. Paul famously said this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life, I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul says. He says, look, I've been crucifi- I have been crucified with Christ. When Jesus died, I died. It was like his death was my death is what he's saying. When Jesus died, my whole vision of reality and what I wanted for my life, that dream died too. Now, that's a conf- confrontational message. And you may be saying, man, that's, that's costly, To follow him, I actually have to lay down something, and I have to believe that if I lay something down, will I get anything in return? Or if I do lay my life down to Jesus, is following him, does it ensure that my life will actually be better, or that his life for me is better? I want to ask you a question. I want you to take a second. We're going to do a little activity, all right? I want you to turn to one friend and take about 30 seconds, right? You're thinking, oh, gosh, I don't want to talk to anybody. Take a second. I want you to turn to your friend or someone in front of you or behind you, and I want you to listen to me. I want you to, I want you to turn to them and name two people who you would consider two of the smartest people who ever walked on the face of the planet, two people who we would consider a genius or someone who was just brilliant in their field, Talk about talk about that for just ten seconds. Ready, go. (laughs) All right, come back. All right, what are some names that were that were said? I heard Einstein right here. What are some other names? Isaac Newton. Who? Ben Shapiro Big Willie talking about Will Smith who's Big Willie I don't know who that is yeah who Messi 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 oh like a he's a genius okay he's a good soccer player but is he a genius all right Shh. One more. How many of you actually, when you thought that, Jesus came to your mind? Okay. Listen. Most people, when you ask them, who is the most brilliant person who ever lived on planet Earth? Who are some of the most brilliant people? You hear Einstein and Isaac Newton and... All sorts of brilliant scientists and philosophers and but would would Jesus legitimately come to your mind as a smartest person? Dallas Willard once said this. Y'all listen up. Dallas Willard once said this. Saying Jesus is Lord can mean little in practice for anyone who has to hesitate in saying Jesus is smart. He's not just nice, he's brilliant. He's the smartest man who has ever lived. He always, listen to this part, he always has the best information on everything and certainly on the things that matter most in human life. Here's what surrender looks like. Look at me. When anything pops up in your life, anything pops up in your life that feels like a competing desire against Jesus, Maybe something pops up and you say, I'm thinking differently than Jesus would think on that. I'm feeling different than Jesus might teach me and commend me to feel. Surrender looks like this, not just trusting Jesus once, but every moment that arises in your life of having this moment of saying, I will lose arguments with Jesus gladly over and over and over. Why? Because Jesus is not just our savior, Jesus is our Lord. He's our master. And more than that, Jesus is brilliant. If he says, money works best this way, he's not just saying that saying, you should consider this. He's saying, this is how I've designed the universe to work. If he says, your bodies function this way and sexuality works best this way, he's not just saying, my way is one of the ways. He's saying, no, my way leads to life and joy and flourishing. Jesus's way is the best way in money, in our future, in our relationships, with our body, with everything we wanna do in our life. Jesus is not just Lord, he is smart. He knows the best information to life and following Jesus is a life of saying, anytime you think your way is better than his, you say this, Jesus, in my mind, I think I'm smarter than you right now. Forgive me and I submit To your way, because you say that your way leads to life and to joy. You're smart, and I surrender to you again and again. Now, what's the contrast to that? Point number two. The other way that you can live is this way, is self-rule. And self-rule is a wasted life. It's what Jesus calls a wasted life, or a life that you lose. Why don't you look back with me in the text? Look at verse 35 through 38, We're still in Mark 8, 35 to 38. I want to revisit a couple things. Look at, look at this with me. 35, for whoever would save his life or keep, keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. And what he means there is forever in eternity. Meaning you actually will die a death apart from God and lose the life in the soul that he gave you. Your soul is precious. And if you will keep your life for yourself, you will lose that life. And this actually is a threat. It it should strike us with fear. Jesus saying, the one who desires to keep their life, rule their own life, govern their own life, you will lose that life that he gave you forever. Forever. Now look at, keep going. Look at verse 36 for what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose your soul? 37. What can a ga- can a man gain in return for your soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, meaning you want nothing to do with what Jesus says in this adulterous and sinful generation. When he comes again, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory. Now those are Those are what theologians call some of the hardest teachings of Jesus. That there's a day coming when he will look at our life and determine if our life has been lived in a worthy way or in a wasteful way. That we gain our life or we lose your life. Now I want to say this. Why why do I say wasted life? Well, first off, Jesus uses three terms that are similar. He says save, profit, and gain you can save your life. What does it profit you? And why would you gain the whole world, all the money in the world, all the fame in the world, all the approval of the world, all the love of the world, and lose your soul? He uses three terms that kind of have a financial thought to this. And he's, like, he's looking at it and like, listen, your life is almost like an investment. <laughs> your, your life, you can protect your life. Or you can invest your life, is basically what he's saying. Now, there's some people who they say, listen, with my life, I want to achieve great things. I want to do great things. I I can achieve it in and of myself. I need no one else. Meanwhile, not considering that the direction of their life is headed to an ending when they'll be confronted with the reality that their life has been a gift, not something they've earned or worked for. Jesus says it this way in Luke 14. I believe we have that one too. He said it this way. This is is the, the same exact text in a different gospel put a different way. And he says this. Look at this. Suppose one of you wanted to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete building the tower? For if you laid the foundation and you start building, and you're not able to finish, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build, but they weren't able to finish. So basically, people are mocking you for giving up halfway. 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able... He will quit, essentially. He will send a delegation while the other is still a long way away and will ask for terms of peace. Now look at how Jesus interprets this whole passage, 33. In the same way, those of you who do not count the cost and give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. I don't think we hear that often. We can't be, there's no, you can't have Jesus and the world. You can't have Jesus and your own vision of reality. You either submit to Jesus or you go ahead and take the life you want, is what he's saying. And he's saying, you cannot be my disciple and not give up all that you are and all that you have to me. Now, when I was 11 years old, I want to get into some personal story for a few minutes, right? When I was 11 years old, I was racked with insecurity, and I had this moment where, where I had a come-to-Jesus moment, if you will, where I was 11 years old when I came to know Christ, and I did not grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up reading the Bible. I did, I, I, my grandparents were followers of Jesus, but my parents were in and out of, of a broken relationship, and they were, they were trying to repair their marriage, and we were all over the place, and there was drugs, and there was separation, and there was just brokenness. And I, I grew up in that, and I grew up thinking, okay, but am I their struggles? Like, are there, is that going to get into me? Like, am I the root cause of their pain? Like, like, I just grew up with this, like, am I enough? Like, I didn't really know who I was, man. And I had some friends when I was in sixth and seventh grade that just started inviting me to church. And I went to this Wednesday night service, and it was weird. And I was like, what is a Christian? I just, I kind of made fun of them for a little while. I had this moment where, like, people were coming down front, and, and I was like, why are you, like, laying on the ground? This is weird. And then I was confronted one night, and it was, it was like God became more of a, less of an idea and more of the reality on my heart. And I heard the message that, that Jesus was, was the one that would satisfy my heart and give me a sense of identity that I couldn't lose, that he was the true reward of life, and I laid my life down to follow Jesus. And Jesus became my identity. Now, my, the rest of my life, even to this day, my number one struggle that I think I've struggled with is this desire to be approved of. One of those, one of those most popular stories is, so when we come to Christ, sometimes we think, all of my struggles will go away. And that's not true. So I want to I encourage you with that tonight. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a few weeks or six months or this is the first year you've been a disciple of Jesus and you're frustrated with yourself. And you think, man, shouldn't I have already overcome some of these things? Shouldn't I have already been past these things? And I want to say a couple things real quick. Be patient with yourself. Keep following Jesus. He will change you even as you follow him. And sometimes that will take time. It'll take time for him to change you and and conform you into his image. One of those stories that stands out for me is this. When I was in ninth grade, raise your hand if you're in ninth grade. I was four 4'10", 89 pounds in ninth grade. I was smaller than every girl in my class. I was the small, smallest girl in my class. I was a football player, and I was racked with insecurity. I was smaller than every girl in my class. I wasn't a girl in my class, right? I was smaller than every girl in my class. <clears throat> now, do what? No, I didn't. I had, a, I, had, I, had a, I had a problem with growth. I actually needed three shots of testosterone to finish going into puberty. I was that boy that was way delayed. And then all of a sudden, I exploded into growth and, and went from 4'11 to 5'11 in a year and a half. It was, my legs hurt every night. My dad had to rub my legs because I would cry myself to sleep. But in ninth grade, listen up. In ninth grade, all I knew myself to be was this, that I was little, I was insecure, And in ninth grade, I became the mascot of our football team. I played football for the B team, but I was the mascot for the A team. And I was a a Harwood Blackhawk. And what that was, what it meant is this, that I got to cover myself in something bigger than myself. I got to wear a gigantic bird suit, right? And when you put on the bird suit, you're about 6'5", because the head like went up like this high, right? And I got to like be crazy and obnoxious and funny in the center of attention, and everyone would laugh at me. And then at halftime, I would get to do a performance, right? I'd be like right in the middle, and I would trip players as I like went into the game and stuff. And the whole time, I was like, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's all about me. Look at all these people looking at me. And I kind of felt like I was like finally the center of attention. But all the while, what was underneath that was just a desire to be seen, to be known, to be loved, to be, some, to be valuable to somebody, and it was only as I walked with Jesus longer and longer that that desire of realizing, man, my truest identity, listen to this, my truest identity is not what I do, but who I am in Jesus. My truest identity, and that's true of you too, that your truest identity is who you are in Christ. Not, not ruling myself or creating myself, but receiving what Jesus had for me. Friends, identity is at the heart of our culture. Your identity is where you find your sense of self-worth. And our culture today tells you this, that you can work for your identity, you can achieve your identity, or you can create your identity. But the gospel says otherwise. Jesus says, no, 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 I, I will give you your identity I will call you by a new name. I will forgive you and tell you who you are, create a new future for you. Your identity is that you are forgiven, loved, and adopted in Christ. Ephesians 2, you've probably heard this a million times. We are saved by grace through faith, apart from works as a gift. It's not something you work for. You don't earn yourself into the favor and love of God. By faith, that is given to you for free. Do you know how peace, peace filling that is? That we don't have to work for something or prove ourselves. The world will always make you prove yourself before it validates you. Jesus says, "No, no, 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 no. I'll validate you before you've done anything for you. I, I give you your identity and your sense of worth." Can you imagine how freeing that is. I want to close this point with this. Maybe you're at a point in your life tonight where you say, "Okay, Casey, but..." How do I know Jesus is worth losing it all for? I've got one life, right? And right now it's my life, and that's true. It is your life. All of creation submits to Jesus, except humanity. Humanity, we live in our rebellion. And and, and God calls us and gives us an opportunity to lay down our rebellion and actually submit to the true leader and Lord of the universe. And maybe you're asking yourself, how do I know if Jesus is actually worth losing it all for? Maybe you're asking yourself, if I do follow Jesus, what will I gain? What will be my reward? How do I know I can trust him? I want to close with this, that Jesus always takes the path first. Jesus always takes the path first. At the beginning of the text, we skipped over something, and I want you to see it again. Verse 31 to 33. Stay with me. I know you're tired. I know it's been a long day, but sit up. Let's close right here. 31 to 33, it says this. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said it plainly. Look at me. Jesus looks right at his disciples in the crowd and he tells them exactly what he's going to do. He looks at them and look at me, he says, I'm gonna gonna surrender first. Jesus never calls us to something that he's not first willing to do. Jesus surrendered to a wicked and broken government. Jesus surrendered to death. Jesus surrendered to taking the judgment that we deserved. He doesn't call us to do something that that, that he's unwilling to do. Jesus first lays down his life he says in John's gospel I lay down my life they don't take it from me he's glad to give his life to you and to me he wins our affection he wins us by his love so if you're questioning tonight is Jesus worthy of actually giving my life to let me ask you this Who would die for you? Who would give their life for you? Do you know anyone that is willing to actually, like, give you their life? To actually lay down and prove themselves to you? Are you even a kind master to yourself? Maybe you're tempted to rule your own life and say, no, I don't trust Jesus, but I do trust me. Let me ask you a question. Have you even been kind to yourself? Don't you mistreat yourself? Aren't you so hard on yourself? Every time you fail, you're not gracious with yourself. You're mean to yourself. You're not merciful with yourself. You're harder on yourself. And Jesus is saying, no, actually, I'm going to be merciful with you. The love of God is patient and long-suffering. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. God is far more patient with you than you've ever been with yourself, friends. The love of God is patient with us. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel this, whoever loves father, mother, son, or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He's making an argument from value. He's saying there is no one more valuable on this planet than Jesus Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds their life, meaning you find your life outside of Jesus, you'll lose that life. But whoever would voluntarily lose your life for him, you will actually find it. So how do you find life? You surrender. It's the paradox. It doesn't make sense. You think I'll protect my life and keep it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Surrender your life and you'll find it. True life is found in, la- found in laying your life down. No one else can bear the weight of being God for you. If you've, if you've found true life in another person or in your parents or in your future, in a relationship, those, those relationships, they can be good things. But if you place ultimate weight and worth and value on them, you know what they'll do to you? They will crush you, and you will crush them. For those of you who are dating in this room tonight, or maybe you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, even if you're married in this room, if you place the full worth of who you are on another person, you will crush that person with with your expectations because that person cannot bear the weight of being God for you. But only, Jesus, can you actually place all your your life and your expectations upon and he actually live up to the expectations that you want for him friends I want to close with this only Jesus is worthy of your life Jesus is worthy and he says this in Matthew 13 the kingdom of heaven you may be saying what's my reward here's your reward the kingdom of heaven for those who believe Jesus is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and in his joy, he went and sold all that he has and bought the field, meaning this, that whatever you have to lose in the path of obedience, nothing compares to finding the joy of the kingdom of Jesus. For some of you, you're going to have to lay down a relationship. For some of you, you're going to have to lay down how hard you've been on yourself. You're going to have to say, you know what? I'm going to receive the love of Jesus. For some of you, you're going to have to lay down what you thought the future of your life was going to look like. And some of you, this decision is going to be extremely difficult. And I want to say this, that the kingdom of heaven is for you. The reward is for you. Eternal life is offered for you. The joy of following Jesus and knowing why you exist is for you. Kingdom is for you if you'll have it. If you, will you come and receive it tonight? Will you surrender and say, I don't want to govern my life anymore. I'm exhausted. Will you say, I, Jesus, I take my life and you are worthy of only you are worthy of my life. Therefore, I lay it down. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, that is for all of us. Today and every day. <laughs> When we surrender our life, it may start in a moment when we trust you. but That becomes the pattern of our life. We trust you by faith. and We trust you every day. We wake up anew and put our faith in you over and over. So, God, teach us. Maybe tonight our friends in this room or in this place where they're like questioning, is Jesus truly worthy of my life? God, I pray you would convince their hearts that maybe they would look to the cross for the first time and see... Who is willing to give me their all? Who is willing to love me freely? Who is willing to lay down their life to buy me? (laughs) Who is willing to love me at that great cost to themselves? Only Jesus. Open our eyes to see you, Jesus. In your beautiful name we pray.